Good morning, Canoe Creek. Uh, welcome and welcome back. It's uh, Exciting to be with you guys, even though I am with you in video today. If you don't know me, my name is Ross. I am the preaching minister here at the church, and um, I am currently on sabbatical. Have been since May 1st, and I will be back with you guys next month. I'm excited and looking forward to that, but I'm also very excited about the time that I've had. Uh, This congregation, our leadership is very generous, and uh, I'm very grateful for this time to refresh and refocus, and I'm spending all my normal energy I'd spend every day on church stuff that I would normally be engaged in on learning Spanish, and so that's an important part of this 20th year that we're celebrating here at Canoe Creek, and our all-in vision of increasing our education Uh, renovation of our facilities, and the Spanish expression. Uh, My goal is not to be able to speak or um, preach in Spanish, but I just want to be able to grow more and be able to just communicate. It's been fun having people say, so have you learned a lot? And my answer has been C, you know, it's pretty easy. Uh, But seriously though, he aprendido más, pero tengo más que aprender, entonces estudio con mi maestro dos días uh, a la semana, cada semana, uh, y el plan es por un año. So after one year, I'll just kind of assess where I'm at and continue to work on it. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but this time I'm able to focus my energy on getting off the ground. I've never been able to do that. And so continuing when I come back, in addition to my normal everyday work, I'm able to continue every day working on Spanish. That's the goal, really, is todos, uh, todos los días, uh, poco en poco, and that's how I've been working at it. But I'm excited to bring the message to you today, too. It seems kind of fitting to have this opportunity to jump right in uh, the middle here when I'm just a little bit past the middle mark of my sabbatical. And I'm excited to be able to be a part of this sermon series, which I've been really excited about. And I know most of our parables we receive are from the New Testament because that's where most of them are. And that's what we know Jesus for in, in teaching a lot, his, his parable style. But there are parables or sometimes considered fables in the Old Testament. I'm not splitting hairs on that. Uh, But there is one in the Old Testament that might be the very first one we find in the Bible that I want to focus my time and energy on today. And let me just set it up, though. I'm actually going to spend a lot of time just discussing a thought and a lot of scripture to support it. And then I'll go to that final core uh, fable parable in the Old Testament and apply a simple principle to our daily lives with it. And so I'm probably going to start a little bit at the deep end of the pool and walk you all of us up to the shallow end and just give the simplest, clearest application we all need to be reminded of and encouraged about. And if you're not a Christian, to know the kind of purpose God has for your life in this simple reality as well. I don't know about you, but let me just start here. There's a word I hear, and whenever I hear it, I kind of cringe a little bit. I've got a personal opinion about it, but... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of wide ideas about it. And, and that word is karma. I hear that from people. I hear it from Christian people. I hear it from non-Christian people. I hear people predominantly use that word or that term or that idea and in, in not in the way it's supposed to be intended. Um, the idea of, you know, you, you get uh, back in life what you put out. Uh, there's other ways of saying it. What goes around comes around. And sometimes we can 
uh, start to believe these are biblical things, right? Like, oh, yeah, what goes around comes around. I've heard that before. It's in the Bible, Second Hesitations 5.10. Um, and it's really not there. It's just a concept that we blend together with some scriptural ideas, some theological ideas, but we kind of make it into its own thing, which is really not a God thing. But the, the, the problem I have centrally with karma is basically you get what you deserve in karma. That's the whole point is if you do good things, you get good things back in your life. The reality of the gospel, which calibrates all of my thinking, all of my thoughts, is that in the gospel, I get everything I don't deserve, right? I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve God's blessings now. But God in his amazing grace gives those things to me. And, and as we think about that in short, Karma is opposed to grace, radically opposed to grace. In many ways, karma, here's what we like about karma. Karma is about controlling the outcome. We love to control the outcome. We think we control the outcome a lot more often than we do. And so that concept of, well, if I do something good here, I'll get something good back. I, I'm in control. Um, I love what Timothy Keller says about this. He says, Karma says you get what you deserve. Through and in Jesus, this isn't ever true. That is a gospel-centric reality, which is so important for us to understand and have our minds wrapped around. Listen to what Psalms 130 says. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. See, if God kept a record of everything that we did, we wouldn't even be able to stand. So therefore, karma is in the business of keeping records in order that we can have something good. But God is not in the business of keeping records. Now, one more thought on this. Hebrews 9 says this, Just as people are destined to die once... And after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Here's what's so important about this. A lot of people use the term karma, not even the, in the right way that it was ever determined. Karma is a term, a theological concept that comes from Hinduism and Buddhism. And the concept is if I do something good in this life, then in the next life, I'm reincarnated to be another person that has a better life. We use karma in this instant satisfactory society. Like that is, I do something good today, something good today is gonna happen to me or tomorrow. You know, it's like instantaneous. We don't even apply it in the way that it's, theologically intended to be applied. And my point of reading Hebrews here is it says, we live once. We don't live once and then we get a new life and it's a little bit better because we did good in the first one. No, we live once and, and then Jesus Christ through his grace gives us salvation. I could go further into this. I just don't have all of the time, but I could talk about how uh, Jewish people have this view of punishment. That is people who uh, received unjust punishment, um, 
that they must have done something wrong and therefore God was punishing them. Jesus actually squashes these ideas very clearly. John chapter 9, Luke chapter 13. He, he comes at this head on face to face and deals with it. Um, however, I can understand why Christians sometimes can become confused by this idea. The Bible has a continual concept that it presents to us about reaping and sowing. And sometimes it may look similar to karma, but it's really not. That, once again, I made that statement, what goes around comes around is a real familiar term for us, but there's a significant difference here. Let me give you a couple of verses about reaping and sowing that we find in the scriptures. Job 4. Job says, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble, reap it. All right? Those who plow evil, those who uh, sow trouble, reap it. Proverbs 22, 8, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. Luke 6, this is really going because this is straight from Jesus himself. Given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the reality. The Bible talks about a natural order to life. And when we sow, and in this case we mean live according to God's word, God's will. When we do that, then it positions us to really reap and experience, have the potential for the natural blessing of God to come into our lives. It's not a perfect promise. I mean, I gave you an example from Job, for instance, right? And we see that even though Job lived a righteous life, he experienced very difficult troubles in this life. That's the natural order of this world because of sin entering into this world. So like when we look at a proverb and say, raise a child in the way of the Lord and they'll never turn from it. And we cling to that kind of stuff like it's a promise, like it's going to happen. It's exactly how it'll happen. It's not. It's It's a principled idea in the natural order of this world. Um, it's important to keep that in mind. It's important to balance this biblical truth of sowing and reaping with other biblical truth as well um, that tells us it's not this perfect promise, but it is a principle that can play out a very powerful reality in our lives. There's reality. Many of us in this room, we've been blessed by God tremendously. Why? Because we have made good godly decisions in our lives. And this is the idea of reaping and sowing. Uh, Sowing and reaping is a simple concept of living wisely and benefiting from those results of those wise decisions. Now, additionally, there's this idea of sowing spiritually. Uh, Let me me point this out to you in Galatians chapter 6. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please, uh, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh uh, will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, here's what's really interesting. This spiritual sowing and reaping does appear to have an impact on our eternal life. 
listen to me carefully. Okay, I'm not saying we earn eternal life. I've already made that clear. I'll continue to make that clear throughout the message. But listen to what Dr. David Jeremiah says. I like this statement. Serving God involves narrowing our focus to those things with the highest eternal value. This is what we're doing as Christians. We're learning day after day, how do I narrow my focus, not in a narrow-minded fashion, but in trusting and following the will of God uh, more precisely day after day um, so that I make an eternal kingdom impact with my life. So here's the thing. As we learn to serve God with a focus like this, Uh, that intensifies day after day. We're sowing eternal things that make eternal impacts. And and this is talked about in the scripture. It is not earning salvation. That only comes through grace in Jesus Christ. It's only based on the performance of Jesus and not us. But there is this idea of reward within the scripture. And the Bible speaks about crowns of reward. Let me just give you a couple of examples here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and following says, For what is our hope, all right, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica is that there are people who are really sold out. They are all in to evangelism, to sharing the gospel, to try and see more people come to know Jesus. And those people who are individually engaged in that kind of activity are people who really reap of this reward, this glory, this crown, because he says, you're our glory, you're our reward, you're our crown, so to speak, in Christ. Now, one other example of this is Revelation 2, verse 10. It says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. And then it goes on to say, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's the reality. There are people who have lived in Christ in this world, in the past, currently, and will in the future, who have suffered and will suffer far more than some of us ever will. And they remain faithful in the midst of it. Um, They went through things and will go through things that we could only begin to imagine. And yet, through it all, they said, Jesus, I'm trusting everything to you. And I believe completely in you. And and God is pointing out, Jesus is saying here, that there's this victor's crown that's a little bit special or different or unique for those individuals. Now, there's more, um, but all of this is so that we can look at a main our main parable or fable for the day and make some personal and simple life application from it. Now in Judges chapter nine, we find a very interesting story. Now, what I have to tell you is this, Judges is a very interesting book. When we look at the people in Judges, these people are not role models. (laughs) They're not like, we should not be hanging a poster of Samson or Gideon on the wall. Be like, I just want to be like this person, right? They're not role models. The book of Judges is this cycle of continual uh, disrespect and lack of faith in God. And then people are punished because of it, because they're not practicing godly principles in their life. 
And therefore, they reach back out to God and they're led back to God and so on and so forth. And so here's the context of Judges 9. Gideon, who we many of us know, we heard that story probably if we ever went to church years ago. And um, he has died. And he has a lot of sons, 70 sons, because he has a lot of wives. Remember, not role models, okay? Gideon's not a role model. And uh, so having 70 wives is probably not a good idea. Now, one of his concubines that lived in Shechem had a son named Abimelech. Now, when Gideon died, this son decided, I should be in charge. I should be the ruler. So he goes to his mom's group of people, his mom's clan, and they sponsor him. He takes the money that they give him to become ruler, and he buys mercenaries. And... um, he takes those mercenaries and he gathers together all of the sons of Gideon and he kills them. Once again, not a great book. It's like an X-rated book and these people are not role models, okay? Um, One son escaped, the youngest, Jotham. He survived. And so when they went to make uh, Abimelech king because they thought, you know, all the sons had been slain and he's the last one, uh, Jotham goes up on a high hill and he, he yells out this fable or this parable to them. It says this, when Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king, uh, by which uh, both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees. Next to the tree, next, uh, I'm sorry, I messed it up. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees, right? Next to the trees said to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit uh, so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? All right. Then the trees said to the vine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? All right. So it goes to these three different trees says, and all three of them are like, look, We have significant purpose in what we do, but this isn't our role. This isn't what we're supposed to do. Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. This is an interesting fable. Essentially what he's saying is, he's saying this is Shechem. You guys could have chose so many different people to be an amazing king that would have purpose, but you chose a thorn bush who really doesn't provide any shade, which is interesting because that's pointed out in here. Um, And all it's good for is starting fires. So listen to what goes on to happen later. Verse 16 on says, have you acted honorably? Jotham asked the people of Shechem, and in good faith by making Abimelech king. If you have, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. 
and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Here's what's wild. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to read Judges 9 for your own this week. Um, Because what ends up happening is Abimelech literally goes into Shechem and kills everybody. And those he can't kill or held up in a stronghold, he sets it on fire and burns them to death. Once again, not role models in Judges. Keep in mind that Judges is basically this X-rated book. It's not a book of role models and examples to follow, but this fable or parable is one of the first we find in the Bible, and it's somewhat a reaping and sowing kind of parable. You know, there's that natural order to the world, and that order we're more likely to reap the good things of God when we sow the good things of God. It's not a perfect promise. There's also the spiritual reaping and sowing as demonstrated in the scriptures. And here's the point. If your life is growing every day in such a way that you are trusting God's will and and his desire for your life more and more, you're going to add more eternal value to your life and to the lives of people around you as well. And this is what's important for his eternal kingdom. So here's a point. God's word and his actions are very clear. All throughout the scriptures, he's for us. Uh, He's for our salvation. He's for our redemption. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to be blessed. This is why every message should have a gospel-centric truth and nature to it because in that gospel-centric truth, we always see God has done everything he can since the beginning of time to bring us back into a good relationship with him where we can be blessed tremendously. And this leads me to the singular simple thought within today's message, and that's this. The more we learn to live for God, the more our lives become an eternal blessing. We experience that some in the natural world in which we live. We experience it tremendously in the future eternal kingdom in which God is preparing for us. I want to close with a simple story and and bring us to a very clear and simple application. Some of us can look at a time like this and it's pretty dramatic. It could be made into an amazing movie, right? Abimelech versus Jotham and so on and so forth. It could be very theatric, but we're thinking, okay, how does that apply to my life like every day? So let me just give you a little thought. So I had a friend just real recently tell me a story. Um, He was at a coffee shop in the morning and he essentially lost his keys. All of a sudden he went to leave and he couldn't find his keys. They weren't in his pocket. They weren't on the table. He couldn't figure it out. It didn't make any sense. Thankfully he had an air tag on his keys. So he looked at the, um, at the air tag on his phone and it showed his keys in somebody's house somewhere else. He has no concept, no idea of where this is. Uh, thankfully he's friends with the coffee shop owner. So he's able to borrow a car and he drives over to this house and he's thinking, man, this, this might not go too well. He knocks on the door, nobody answers. So he goes over to the neighbor's house. He knocks on the door and, and the neighbor comes out and he says, hey, listen, you know, uh, I, I've lost my keys. He explains the story to him. You know, I'm just trying to see, is there anybody home? Oh yeah, I think they're home. And he's like, yeah, I thought I heard the TV on and whatnot. About that time, two younger teenage girls come out of the house. So m- my friend went to approach them at this time and he was being very cautious and very careful and being very standoffish. And he starts trying to explain the situation to them. Um, 
And at this point, they, they act like they understand him and they go back into the house to think, okay, we're gonna go look for the keys. That's what he thinks. But when they go into the house, he sees that they're like standing in there looking out at him at the window on the phone. And he's thinking, oh, this isn't gonna go well. Did I happen to mention that my friend's Mexican? And he has a few tattoos. And if you just don't know him, you may look at him and think he's some sort of a cholo or something like that, even though he's older. He's like some Mexican mobs gangster guy, right? Um, so at this point, he's on the phone with his wife, and he's saying to her, like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm a little freaked out. And she says, listen, you should call the police right now just to make sure that you're safe and everything's safe and everything's good. He was staying away from the house, out on the sidewalk. Next thing you know, some guy comes up in a truck, and he gets out, and he's coming at him pretty hot. He's like, hey, what's going on? And so he tries to start explaining the situation. He's like, well, you scared my daughters to death, blah, 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 blah. He's like, well, I didn't mean to do any of that. I'm so sorry. You know, I've just, he explained the situation to him and the guy started to calm down a little bit. And he's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So he goes in to look for the keys and he comes back out and says, well, the keys aren't there. Well, to make a long story even shorter, uh, there was their neighbor across the street is an elderly gentleman that they know who was at that coffee shop, frequents that coffee shop every day. Uh, my friend even knows him. And he's got, he's starting in early stages of dementia. He grabbed my friend's keys and the air tag for some reason was just showing it across the street from where they actually were. But here's what's crazy. Um, th this gentleman who was scared for his daughters and kind of came up my friend a little hot and heavy, um, you know, he come to find out his mom serves with my friend on uh, the board of United Way that he is the, uh, my friend is the director or the, the leader of that board. And so there was that connection there. In order to determine he was who he said he was, that is my friend was a pastor at a church. He called a friend of his and it turns out, yeah, that's my pastor. He, you know, I go to his church every Sunday. And, and here's my point. You know, you could take any one of those little circumstances or situations and just how you respond to it, what you say, what you think, what you do, it could be like a thorn bush, like something that's only good for intensifying a fire. And that story could have gone radically different in the moment. And, and here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning is every day, in the simplest things, what you say, what you do, how you respond, you have the opportunity to be for other people, to be for the value of God, to be for the eternal kingdom of God in what you say and what you do. And you can bring about a blessing or you can say and do things that just increase the heat and bring the fire and cause a bigger mess than it should be. It's kind of crazy when you think about that story. I mean, just a simple misunderstanding, but there were so many different little turns and twists where everything could have gone wrong. And what I'd encourage you to do as you think through this, how will you carefully steward every thought, every word, and every action this week so that you can live for God in your life and bring about a spiritual and a natural blessing in your life and for the lives of people around you.